All right, so if you are a, um, a third through fifth grader who is still in for worship, my friend Grayson there, if you follow him out the door there, he's going to uh, help get you to um, the youth room where uh, you will be going for kind of lesson time and things like that. So um, you guys are lucky. You get a much more fun lesson in people than me. But how about the worship this morning? Was that pretty great? Well, I am uh, excited to be back. Last week, yeah, I was um, sick last minute, and I want to give a huge shout-out to my man Chuck McCoskey for um, stepping up and sharing his story. Would you guys give it up for Chuck? It was wrong of me, I admit, to call an Indiana person during the midst of an Indiana-Purdue basketball game, but I would only pull that card in a uh, moment of desperation. So, um, But Chuck, I do appreciate um, your willingness to share. Because in a lot of ways, Chuck kicked off our series called Encounters with Jesus. And he, he talked about how um, Jesus, um, not only did he, but he continues uh, to find himself being transformed by the encounters that he has with Jesus. And he gave a great message. If you haven't um, got the chance to hear it, you should go um, to YouTube or our website or Facebook and, and go back and listen to it. Because it's a great message about how we all, in many ways, put on masks that um, try to hide um, the hurt that we have and put on a pretty face, and yet Jesus loves us exactly where we are. So thank you again, Chuck. Well, this morning we're, we're, we're going to more sort of formally um, start this series called Encounters with Jesus, and I'm really excited about it. This is going to be the series that we're going to be doing leading up to Easter. And, and as I've been praying and kind of prepping for Easter, one of the things that God has um, been kind of frequently saying to me over and over again uh, is this idea of encounter. Um, now, when I say encounter, sometimes that word can feel like, I, I don't know why, my mind goes to like an encounter with an alien. Like when people talk about encounter, I'm like, are you talking about like you got like, you know, sucked up into a, to a, um, into a UFO and they're doing stuff? But when I mean encounter, I just literally mean um, oftentimes I, I worry that we get so focused on um, the rules and the regulations and, and the idea of sort of the, the, the religiosity piece of faith that we sometimes forget, like, we don't follow a, a, a way of living. We follow a person. And that most people that I know who have, have, have any sort of genuine faith, um, it's likely not because they heard a great argument, an incredible sermon. It wasn't because the song that was played just, like, hit the right note, and they're like, this is it. It might not even be just standing in front of something um, beautiful. More often than not, most people I know who end up transformed by Jesus, they had some sort of encounter with Jesus, whether it was through another person or whatever it may be, but ultimately they decided to follow a person, not a way of, of living, not all these sort of things. They followed Jesus, and out of that, they got the rest. But during this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, some encounters that people have in Scripture with Jesus. In particular, today we're going to focus in on this guy named Simon, who we oftentimes refer to as Peter. And we're going to do sort of a drive-by of a few events in his life. But also during this series, we're going to be um, hearing from people within our congregation uh, via kind of some video stories about their own uh, encounters with Jesus. And some of them, it might be kind of their coming to faith story. For some, it just might be a, a certain moment. And, and the goal of this is to realize... Um, for everyone to recognize that everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And not only does everyone have a story, but everyone's story matters. And maybe that's the, the biggest takeaway that someone needs to take away this morning is just the fact that your story 
matters. Your life has value and worth and goodness, surely because God created you in his image and that he loved you enough to send his son Jesus. And I could just call the band back out and we could be done now. But we'll go on a little bit more. But also I believe this, that everyone who encounters Jesus can be changed for the better. Every single person who has an encounter with Jesus has the opportunity to experience radical transformation for the better. And so uh, this morning as we begin, uh, we're going to begin with a story. And uh, you're going to hear from, um, there's been a survey done by me that would say this is probably one of the most beautiful people that there ever has existed. And uh, I want you guys to to listen to this story um, from my wife, Hunter, uh, about her encounter with Jesus because um, I love hearing her story of coming to faith because uh, for many of us who maybe grew up in church, uh, her story is uh, a little bit different. So check out this video. Hi, my name is Hunter Perry, and this is my story of my encounter with Jesus. Uh, Growing up, I didn't really go to church regularly. I would say that my parents would call themselves believers, and I think growing up that I would have always called myself a believer. Um, I knew who Jesus was, and I knew that he had died for me, Um, but I didn't really have any example or even an idea that Jesus wanted to have a daily relationship with me um, and that he would be someone that I could count on, not just for my salvation, but just for um, daily bread and um, for coping with things that I would struggle with, like being a perfectionist and uh, being a worrier. So um, I kind of got curious about Jesus. I would say in middle school, I had a few friends who went to church. Um, but never was really brave enough to invite myself to go with them. And middle school can be kind of awkward anyways. So those friends also did not invite me to church. Um, so it was really in high school that, uh, I was invited to church. Um, it was, didn't feel like a gift at the time, but, um, I did sports, and so since I couldn't drive, I would hang out in uh, my biology teacher's classroom after school, uh, me and a couple of friends. And so during swim season and track season, I would hang out up there with her, um, and we had a lot of conversations. And eventually, uh, one day, just asked her about church for her and her family. I knew that they attended a church in my community called Madison Park. and she invited me to go with them and it still feels like such a minimal thing I think for her Uh, but for me I knew that she had five kids to get to church too so the fact that she would take the time to come pick me up and bring me um, it meant a lot Um, but it also allowed me to kind of get an idea of who I knew at the church and then be a little more brave to ask people for rides and get connected to an area Bible study. Um, And so her invite was really the catalyst for me for being able to attend church regularly. Um, And then in attending church regularly, um, really develop an intimate relationship with Jesus. Even though it was a gradual process for me um, and no big aha moments happened in developing a daily relationship with Christ. Um, It changed who I was and it made life so much better. Um, Just being able to um, rest in Jesus and 
give myself grace um, and be a little gentler with myself because I knew that God thought more highly of myself than sometimes I would think of myself. So say um, that some of my most real encounters with Jesus also came just from people in that church who chose to invest in me. Um, it was some of my encounters with Jesus were um, literally a hug from someone in the lobby or um, my friend's family inviting me over for dinner and praying with me regularly. Um, those are very tangible encounters with Jesus that I had. I also can remember a very distinct uh, moment with Jesus at a camp in Florida called Big Stuff. Um, I accepted a calling to ministry there um, that really shaped the direction of the next four years of my life. Uh, I just knew that God wanted more for me, and I had a mentor who was the junior high pastor at our church that um, really affirmed my calling and coached me and gave me opportunities to serve at church. Uh, I actually worked for the church that I started attending my freshman year of high school. And um, I obviously don't work in vocational ministry now, but I can say that my experience in working with the church has been hugely helpful in my relationship with my husband, um, being able to just understand uh, his work and some of the uniqueness that comes with church life and business. Um, but also it's our ministry. And so we love this church and we love the people here together. And um, while it's not my vocation, um, God knew what he was doing and preparing me for uh, being married to Aaron too. So learning about Jesus and being invited to church and having those real encounters with people changed everything about my future, um, not just learning about Jesus and being invited to church and having those real encounters with people changed everything about my future, um, not just She was going to say it changed everything because she got to marry just an incredibly handsome, <laughs> humble guy. No, as you can tell, there, there, there's more. Um, there's there's more that she shares about. Um, just just a little bit more. But uh, one of the things I love about my wife's story is uh, how easily um, it couldn't have happened. I think oftentimes we underestimate the, the incredible value and power of relational ministry. How important it is sometimes that your small invitation to someone could completely change the trajectory of not only their life, but the life of their kids and their grandkids, their future spouses, all of those sort of things. I have got to hug Miss Gary before, her teacher who invited her to school, and thank her. Because for me, my life is completely um, transformed and changed. As she said, she ended up working at this um, church that my brother actually ended up working at as well. And I never like to give my brother JJ credit for really anything because he's my childhood nemesis. Um, 
but I do have to credit him for um, helping kind of introduce Hunter and I. Um, but, but I love, one, one of the things that's incredible um, about Hunter's story too that I, that I really love is the fact that um, she's a person whom, uh, like she said, didn't really grow up in church. And it'd be easy sometimes, I think, for people who don't grow up in church to, to sit back and wonder, like, is this for me? I mean, you think about, as she mentioned, there's people whom her friends, she knew who went to church, but none of them ever invited, none of them ever, you know, asked about any of these things. It'd be easy for her to think, too, that when she had a genuine calling to ministry, um, that oftentimes we put something into a box, and what she does now, which is ministry, um, may not look exactly like what she thought it would look like. And yet it's incredible that the same God who raised Christ from the dead um, is the God who desires deeply uh, to meet us exactly where we are, to change not only our present but our future, to give us a new identity, a new hope, and to give us a calling that we couldn't um, maybe imagine otherwise. This morning, I want to briefly um, look at the life of Peter. And, and again, I said this before, but I think it's worth saying as we think about people where they have these um, encounters with Jesus is that, is that, again, we don't follow an idea or a theory. We, we, we follow Jesus, who is a person. And most people I know who have a genuine faith, they didn't have an epiphany, uh, they had an encounter with Jesus. There wasn't just this light bulb sort of moment where someone's like, I figured out the equation. For the most part, what happened is they had some sort of encounter with the person of Jesus. I know when I was in seventh grade, I was at a camp. I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember the song. I just remember that I had an encounter that I can never shake with Jesus. Peter, though, has this interesting story. And like I said, we're going to do a drive-by of a few of his songs. Not like a gangster drive-by, but just sort of a, a quick, moving drive-by of five moments in his life. And I promise they will be brief. Peter is this guy who we, uh, he starts out with the name Simon and eventually becomes known as Peter. But his story starts um, and ends in a very similar way within the Gospels. It starts with him fishing. Peter is a fisherman by trade. Um, we don't know tons about Peter's background, but in ancient culture like that, oftentimes you typically would, would go into the family business. And so he likely came from a line of fishermen. And, and fishermen were kind of like, like, a, like a solid blue-collar worker, but nothing necessarily remarkably special or um, things like that. And so there's this day in, in Luke chapter 5 that we find where, where Jesus finds these fishermen who have kind of had a bad day out fishing. Um, which I'm not a fisherman, but pretty much every time I ever go fishing is a bad day. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think the fish like me. It's probably because I was really loud as a kid. There's probably a reason my dad didn't want to take me fishing. But anyways, they're not having a lot of success, and, and Jesus comes up to them. And, and as far as we know, this is his first real kind of encounter with Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter, hey, why don't we go out uh, into the boat? I, I got an idea. Let's, I just have a hunch. And so, you know, he's sort of like, well, okay, if you say so. And they go out there, and he has this miraculous catch. It's this perfect catch. And when this happens, this is what it says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. It says this, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Did you guys know it's one of the most common phrases throughout all of Scripture? Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up on the shore, left everything, 
and followed him. Some of the other uh, gospel accounts have, have, have a similar account, but it just says Jesus asked them. He says, uh, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so Peter, along with some of his friends, have this radical encounter with Jesus. He recognizes that something is different about him, which is why he says, I'm a sinful man. I don't know if I can be in your presence. And he decides to do what? Leave everything behind. Because the truth is, when Jesus calls, we always have a decision to make. When Jesus calls, we all have a decision to make. I'm one of those weird people of my age who likes to call people on the phone more than text. One of the reasons why I love it is I love knowing that there's probably a panic on the other side of like, why are you calling me? (laughs) And yes, I'll admit, I'm one of those people who I, I... I make a phone call that could have been a text. I'll be honest. I'm lonely, I guess. But many of us, the truth is, if we're paying attention, every day Jesus is calling us in some ways. And it's pretty easy, I think, if we're honest. We don't want to admit it. But there's times where we can see him calling. And we're like, oh, boy, late for that one. Or, oh, man, I forgot I said I'd do this. And send a voicemail. Delete voicemail. Every single one of us, when we encounter Jesus, have a choice to make. Do we lean into what he has for us? Do we leave behind everything that we have to follow him? Or do we keep fishing? Peter chooses to leave behind everything and go on. And and he has some incredible moments. One of my favorite moments he has we find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14 where they are in boats. He's he's back in one of his sweet spots. And there's this storm that's going on. and, And eventually him and the other disciples see this person walking on the water. And it's Jesus. And Peter at this point is kind of, let's just be honest, if you read a lot about Peter, he's kind of an impulsive guy. I I relate to Peter in some ways. He's sort of a do-before-you-think sort of guy. I mean, he later cuts a guy's ear off, so a little bit of a hot-tempered guy. But he sees Jesus out there, and, and why? He's left everything behind. He has this faith at this point that he asks Jesus, can I come out there? I would have never asked that, by the way. Um, so I guess I'm not as impulsive as him. And, and if you remember the story, if you've never heard the story, Peter steps out of the boat, and he begins to walk on water. And he's doing great. Like, I don't know, I'd be moonwalking, doing something. I'd be feeling pretty great. But scripture says, if you remember uh, what happens in the story, Peter, who's been called out with this uh, new calling, this new way, he's, he's been following Jesus. He sees all the incredible things that he can do. He's beginning to realize who he is created to be, and he's walking in faith. But if you remember what happens, it says that after a while, though, Peter begins to notice the wind and the waves, and his gaze had been on Jesus the whole time. But eventually, he loses his focus on him. He begins to notice the things going on around him. And it says that he begins to sink. And Jesus says, why did you do this, you of little faith? Many of us have probably experienced this sort of thing before. We get called by Jesus. Things are doing pretty good for a little while. And eventually, a storm hits. Following Jesus is really easy for a short time. Following Jesus when you went to a summer camp, easy peasy. Following Jesus on a weekend retreat, easy. 
Following Jesus when you begin to interact with coworkers and family members and neighbors, not always as easy. And yet, what's incredible about Peter's story is it would have been easy for when he sunk there to just stay there. But again, Jesus reaches him up, and he continues to follow. Because one of the things that some of us can, can, can struggle with is this idea that we let fear or worry or failure have the last word. And fear and failure do not define our story. Fear and failure, they do not have to define our story. Some may tell you it should. Some might like to remind you of your worst moments. Some people like to remind you of who you used to be. But oftentimes we only begin to sink. We only uh, begin to uh, fall back when we lose our sight line on Jesus. When we stop listening to that voice and we let the voice of others begin to tell us what's going on. And so Peter continues in his following uh, in the ministry of Jesus. And he has this moment in the Gospel of Matthew 16 that's, that's pretty significant. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he, he asks them, who do, you, who do you believe I am? Who do people say I am? And, and Peter is the first of the disciples to do this. He, he, he says this. He says that you are the son of man. You are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the one that remembered. And, and at this point, this is when Jesus says to him that you are blessed, Simon, son of John. He said this wasn't revealed to you in, in a special way. You figured this out through faith. And he gives him this new name, which is Peter, which means rock. And he says, you will be the rock that I will build my church on. He's essentially saying, you're going to be the leader. When I'm gone, when this whole church thing has to start, Here's the keys to the kingdom. I want you to do it. Peter has this incredible journey, right? He goes from this guy just fishing to walking on water to sinking to being given a, a pretty cool name. I mean, I know, like, we, we, we like the rock from, from wrestling, right, and all those sort of things. But, like, I mean, this is the OG rock, okay? That's a pretty good name. He's got to be feeling pretty good. But here's what I think can happen in our lives if you're like Peter. Is we sometimes can, can get bigger than our own britches. And we'll get to that in a second. But one of the things that I love about when he, when he realizes who Jesus really is and he proclaims who he is, it reminds us that our identity is changed when we fully realize who Jesus is and commit to following him. When, when Peter begins to fully understand who Jesus is, is when he is really getting a much uh, deeper transformation that's happening. You know, I think we, 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 we worry sometimes. We, we like instant results. Anyone else, I, anyone else hate waiting? I hate waiting. My wife, Hunter, sometimes makes fun of me because if I, if I go through a season where I've not been eating well or exercising well, I'll do like one, one workout and I'll come up and I'll like take my shirt off. I'm like, can you see an ab? Does this look pretty? Which, of course, the answer is yes, honey. But I want instant results. And the truth is, transformation is not a quick thing. Changing the way that we think, the way that we act, changing our identity is not a quick process. I, I fear sometimes when we read Scripture, because they are, you know, one verse 
here and one verse there, we, we forget that oftentimes these people have a long-term journey. Even Paul, who is this guy who has this blinding road to Damascus, he has this period between the time that he meets Jesus and the time that he really starts doing ministry. Transformation takes a while. And Peter, I worry, in his story, began to feel almost too confident in himself and not in Christ in him. And so Jesus, uh, knowing that the cross is before him, gathers his best friends in, in the upper room, and he, he, he has the first communion. And he tells them, he looks at them and says, every single one of you is going to betray me. And Peter, who always kind of is a one-upper, is like, I won't do it, Lord. You know I won't. And he's so adamant about it. But Jesus, who, who knows all things, says to him, no, 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 no. I promise you, before the sound of the rooster crowing, you will deny me three times. And if you don't know the story, sure enough, Peter is confronted a few times after Jesus' arrest. And every time he denies him, he says, I don't know that guy, I wasn't with him. And I read about Peter weeping when on the third time that he does, uh, betrays Jesus, he hears the rooster crow. Because I think all of us know that feeling when, we, when, when it really sinks in that we messed up. And I know that headspace where, where when it feels like you just really, really messed up, you feel like there's no hope. It feels like all the energy and hope and joy is just sucked from the room. And so Peter just kind of goes into hiding. What's interesting is, you know, I wish I could say that Peter was one of the people who, you know, day three went to the tomb just to look immediately. But if you remember the story, none of the disciples hardly even cared or were brave enough to go see after Jesus' crucifixion. It wasn't until a group of ladies who were Christ followers went and, and realized, and they were the ones who, if you remember in the story, proclaimed that he is risen. And then we find this story that's at the end of, um, of, of John, uh, in John chapter 1. And if you follow kind of the storyline for, for Peter, Peter's story is derailed um, by his denials. And then his denial leads to shame. And then his shame leads him back into his old identity. See, the story began with Peter fishing. It begins where he's fishing. He's just doing his normal life like all of us. And he has this encounter with Jesus that changes everything for a time. And he goes on this three-year journey of following him, seeing incredible things, getting the keys to the kingdom. And in the end, when he denies, he's just kind of lost. He hears the hope that he's risen, but we don't know a lot about what he does exactly after that until this. In the Gospel of John chapter 21, we, we find that, that Peter and some of the disciples have gone back to what they know. And they're back fishing one day. And, and, and Jesus appears to them um, wearing some sort of cool disguise because he's Jesus. And he, he yells to them from the shore as they've not really caught that much that day, hey, try on this other side. And it's here again that Jesus is right. Apparently the world's greatest fisherman. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And they have this huge catch. 
And it has to be in this moment that Peter realizes, oh man, it's him. And Jesus invites them to come have a breakfast. And this is what happens at the breakfast. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 21, starting in verse 15. It says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is a significant moment. Some of us might read this and be like, yeah, whatever. Scholars debate sometimes what are the these. But to me, when I read this, I personally have to think that he's looking at the fish, at the nets, at the boats. Not because Jesus is anti-fish. He's not like fish lives matter. He's not doing any of that sort of stuff. But he's looking at him with all sincerity. And he's calling him by his former name. Remember, this is Jesus who, who gave him this new name, the rock. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than all of this stuff? This had to hurt, right? Like you're already kind of feeling down. You're already kind of feeling like, am I good enough anymore? And then Jesus says, Simon, son of John, your old name. Do you love me more than these? And you got to be thinking, are you serious? And he responds, what? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. It's got to be a tricky thing, too, when you know that Jesus knows what you're thinking. And he goes on and he says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. You got to be like, come on, I get it. Yes. It says Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, he said. He said, feed my sheep. Now, this is significant, right? It's got to be frustrating for him to hear it the three times. But it's on, it's on purpose, and it's important. Because for the three times that Peter denies Christ, there are three times that Jesus wants, to know, wants him to know that he's been forgiven, that he's still invited, that though he messed up, that he betrayed, that he failed, that he has a chance still. And he goes on and he says this, very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you, to the, uh, lead you where you do not want to go. He says Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. I love Peter's story because throughout all of this, he has so many different encounters with Jesus. Yet, in another way, they're really the same encounter over and over. It's the same encounter of love and forgiveness. 
a purpose beyond himself. When he finishes this, there's got to be this piece where in some ways Jesus is, is wanting him to like realize it. He's wanting him to realize, you saw all that you saw. You experienced all of this. You've seen how much grace and mercy I have. Do you really think that you can screw things up that badly? Do you really think you're that important or that powerful? And he wants him to recognize that Jesus didn't call him, he didn't call us to new life for us to go back to our old life. And there's lots of people I meet, and I've been as guilty as anyone else, who have had my encounter with Jesus, have felt my call from Jesus. And let me just say real quick, God calls every single one of us. We oftentimes have this stupid thought in our mind that I believe the enemy has put where it's like, well, God only calls pastors or people who stand on stages. That is not true. Honestly, you have a far greater capacity to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ than I do. Straight up, period. Oftentimes, I'll just be real, I hang out with Christians. It's kind of hard to, to tell people about Jesus who already know him. You are in classrooms, in neighborhoods, in uh, workplaces with tons of people who have zero clue that their story matters to God. You have tons of people who have written off thinking that their failures and that their fears have demolished and destroyed any chance that they have of normalcy and peace and wholeness. You have tons of people who are in your sphere of influence who have zero clue about how good life could be today and a beautiful future for tomorrow. And so many of them are waiting for someone to say, I see you. For someone to point out to them where something could be better. For someone to say, hey, I see you fishing over here. And you're coming up empty every time. What if you try on this side? And then come follow. You see, Jesus' great call to us is to be forgiven, to be free, and to go fish. That ultimately we are called to experience his forgiveness by acknowledging our sin, by experiencing his grace and his mercy, and then to live in a way in which we are free, to actually live out this, to be focused on him, not the wind and the waves, not on the external voices, but on his voice. And then once we have experienced that, we're called to go back out into this world. I meet so many people who it drives me nuts because they're like, oh, praise him. And they're like, this is the greatest thing ever. And they don't tell anyone about it. If you grew up in church, you sang that, you know, this little light of mine, you know, you sang hide it under a bushel. No, I won't. Liars. <laughs> don't let Satan... It out. Some of y'all getting real close to him sometimes. But I say all of that because I know what it was like to be lost and then to be found. I know what it likes to feel like you are hopeless, like you don't have a chance, that your utter failures in life have just defined everything. And I also know what it's like to feel like you got to walk out of a grave. And there are so many people in our community who need to hear that even though the enemy desires for them to stay dead, 
that Jesus has come so they can have an encounter and come alive. Pastor Cole is going to come up and we're going to sing um, one last song. But I'll end partially where I started, which is this. Uh, when Jesus calls, uh, we all have a decision to make. And I don't know your story. But I know every single one of us, whether we believe that we are good enough, whether we believe that we have purpose or calling or value, you do. Your fears, your failures, they don't define you. Your worry and your shame, it doesn't have to hold you back. You have been called for great things. You have been given purpose far beyond yourselves. And you are loved far more than you know. Some of us need to not go back fishing. We need to stop returning back to the same ponds, the same side of the creek that's leaving us coming up empty. And some of us need to take Jesus' invitation to come follow him, to experience his goodness and his grace, and to become fishers of men. Would you guys stand with me uh, as we're going to pray and uh, sing one last song together? Let's pray. Father, we are, um, man, we are just abundantly uh, grateful for the fact that you see us in, in our flaws, uh, in our failures. And, uh, and you continue to show up with just consistent love. And you, you're the God who, who has been doing that since the beginning of time. You, you are the same God who, who loved us at uh, the moment that we chose to follow you and the same God who loved us as we were trying to get away from you. Father, this morning I pray for those who maybe just need an ounce of courage to just say yes to you. To finally say, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of living this way where it feels like things are just empty. That we would just acknowledge our own sin and our need for a Savior. That we would take up your call to be sons and daughters and to follow you into the family business. Father, some of us this morning, I know, have a person or person who's on our heart, who we know doesn't know you. Father, I pray that you wake us up in the middle of the night, that you just give us a sense of um, uh, great desire and urgency to love them and to maybe just invite them into something. It doesn't have to be an invitation to church. It could just be to coffee or over for a barbecue. But Father, would you give us a sense of um, weightiness of, of the purpose and the plans that you've called us to. Father, would we not just have encounters that are escapes and, and, and make us feel good, but would they just actually change us? And Father, as, as we have to walk through it all, as you call us out upon uh, the, these waters where sometimes we are going to see the wind and the waves, would you help us to keep our focus on you? Would you help us to pay attention to just that one voice that is from you? Father, thank you again for your love and your mercy. As we sing this song, would you help us just um, hear whatever you have to say to us? 
give us the courage to respond to you and follow you wherever you call. It's in Jesus' name I pray.